Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Hey, um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 90. That's where we're going to be this evening. If you don't have a Bible, there's an app on the phone, so you have no excuse. You have no excuse. Uh, Psalm 90 is where we're going to be. Um, how many of you guys, this is your first time here. Just like raise your hand. You've never been to Saints Hill before. Nice and high. I need to see your hands. Nice and high. Awesome. Uh, yeah, there you go. This corner is lively. It's a lot. I, now I know why. I know you guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, our prayer is this, that you would get more than what you came for, uh, that you would get more than what you bargained for. You, you made a risk coming to a place like this this evening, and our prayer is just that you, God would meet you in a way that's bigger than you had anticipated. So um, we're so glad to be with you guys. Psalm 90 is where we're going to be. We're um, in this kind of interesting time period for some of you who have been here uh, over the summer, you know this. Once we started meeting in the field, we stopped our usual Acts series that we've been going through the book of Acts verse by verse. And uh, we started this kind of what I'm calling and what we'll eventually put on our website and it will be kind of a concise um, cr- group of messages. But we're calling this series Pioneer Again. Pioneer Again. And uh, we're doing that intentionally because really what we're doing, man, for those of you who were gone, oh, it was really like COVID hit and then you went home, uh, it's been crazy to be a part of the church. You probably know this. You've been watching church online. It's felt distant and weird and like, is there a church? Uh, maybe for some of you, it hasn't felt that way. You've been meeting in homes together and gathering with close friends and people who also follow Jesus. And hopefully that's been a really sweet time as well. But I don't know about you. I love the gathering. I love getting together. I love worshiping together. What can happen? Did you feel that? Like what happens when the group of when a group of people, the people of God, come together and exalt Jesus? His, he's just so attracted to it. It says in the old in the Old Testament that he's enthroned on the praises of his people. So when the people of God get together and they make a point to exalt his name, he's so attracted to that, and he just comes and makes himself known. So uh, it's just such a privilege to be able to actually physically gather together. And we knew that when we were gonna start gathering together in this kind of uh, space out here in the field, that it would feel a little bit like we were replanting the church. Uh, for those of you who are new, we're a church plant that's been around for about two years now. And uh, it feels, yeah, isn't that amazing? Like two years. Who was there at the beginning? Like, do you guys remember? Okay, good. That's a good rate of retention, actually. Appreciate that. Um, but uh, I just, I had this thought like, oh, we're going to need to pioneer again. We pioneered once. We came, we planted a church here in Newburgh. We felt very called to this specific geographic location. And uh, it's now time for us to do another round of pioneering, another round of breaking new spiritual ground and uh, moving forward as a church. So um, it's been amazing. If you haven't been here the past few weeks, uh, I feel like each message that I've given, Jacob's given, Bria's given, have kind of built on the other or taken bits from the other and uh, expounded upon them. So it, it's just been super, super fun. Well, tonight what I want to talk about 
uh, as we wrap this moment of pioneering again, as we wrap this series up, uh, I want to do a little bit of a refocusing of our lives and our minds around the hope of resurrection. The hope of resurrection. Um, This message could sound kind of like a talk that you would hear on Easter, um, but what, what I, just to give you a little insight into me as a, as a leader, what I try to do is I, is I try to go, God, what are you teaching me? What are you feeding me on? I'm going to share that with my people, with these people of Saints Hill. I, I really don't go, okay, God, um, I think it would be a good idea to talk about this. Okay, I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going, to, I'm going to go there and there. I really try to just go out of my own devotional time with the Lord Find out what he's talking about and then just talk about it here. And uh, could, maybe, maybe this is like Easter part two, but this is what he's teaching me. This is what he's feeding me on right now. Um, so Psalm 90, verse 12, look down at your Bibles. Here's what the psalmist says. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's read it again. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, I've been thinking about death a lot recently, which um, is no surprise if you know me. I think about death all the time. I got a good bit of the four on the Enneagram in this guy right here. And so um, I think about death all the time. I think about, uh, I remember being like a kid and like the song, who was like a teenager in the early 2000s and you were like punk rock, emo, that was me. Um, I just was always like thinking about this, like, wow, life is going to end someday. And I would get really bummed out about it to the point where I was like, I can only listen to songs that talk about death and this whole thing. I got saved. It was awesome. Big change. Uh, But recently I've been thinking about death because I turned 30. Some of you are like, you're like, well, that makes sense. He's 30. Some of you are like, okay, buddy. You are so young. Um, but something happened when I turned 30 where I, I, I got this, like, I, I had this ability to understand what a decade meant. I was like, oh, that's what, t- I remember being 20, that's what 10 years feels like. And, and, and wow, and I, and I started thinking, okay, so if I, I, I maybe only have five of these chunks of my life left. And I started obsessing over it, and I thought about, wow, like, I just had a, a baby girl She's around here. We got people who probably haven't seen her. Can we raise her up? I don't know. She's probably laying down. Emily's doing a great job just like keeping her chill throughout the gathering. So, but anyway, I got, I got a, a baby girl. Um, she's four months old now. It's just amazing. It's so fun. And um, I, I started thinking about like my parents. Like when you're not a parent, you think about, you're like, oh, I have parents and someday I'm going to be a parent. And, and man, that's going to be so weird. And then you become a parent and you're like, dang. My parents were like 26 when they had me, and now they're like, I won't say your ages, they're like this old. And, and, and that went by for them probably like so fast, and I just started thinking about, oh my gosh, life is just so in, going so fast. And it's kind of freaked me out. Um, not only that, but I started thinking about just like the existential nature of life itself and thinking, well, you know, the more that I love, the more I invest in the people around me or love even this new baby girl that we have, the more at risk my heart is because of the reality of loss, the reality of death in general. 
And so I've just started feeling so like insecure about that. Like, oh gosh, like I don't want to die. I love the life that I have right now. My life is so good. And, and thinking about this baby girl and I'm like, I have an option. Like either I love her and then I open my heart up to pain or I go, I'm not going to love. And so I won't feel any pain. And is that really even an option? Like that's not an option. Last night, my wife and I were talking about this. I was telling her about what I was going to talk about, and uh, she expressed something that I think many of us have felt at times. She said, I wish I could just freeze this time right here. I just love this season so much. Have you ever had one of those moments? Maybe you haven't had one of those moments, but have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, I wish I could just grab onto this moment and just live in this moment forever? And the reality is just like water, trying to hold water in your hands, it just slips away as time goes on. I think with um, this season that we're in just culturally with COVID, there's a time for us to reframe and to make sure that our hope is in the correct place. When things fall apart, we uh, see what we were really believing and we see where our hope lies. So um, I want to walk through what the Bible says we have hope in, and here's why. Look down at your Bibles again. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, teach us God to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom comes from understanding that one day we will die. How? Why? Why would wisdom come from us understanding that we're going to die someday? What, what, what does thinking about the end of your life do in you that produces wisdom? Um, it, it could seem a little weird, but maybe we should start with what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to rule well. That's what wisdom is. It was Solomon's greatest desire because he understood the responsibility of ruling well required incredible wisdom. He needed wisdom in order to rule correctly. And wisdom has always been tied to ruling uh, in the Old Covenant in particular. Um, in, in the Hebrew, one of the words for wisdom, and it's actually the word used for wisdom in this passage right here, is chokmah. Can you say that with me? Chokmah. Um, it's related to skill or ability or prudence. That's what it means. So you could read it like this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of skill, ability, and prudence. An ability, a prudence, a skill to live well. According to Proverbs 3.19, it was with hokmah, ability, skill, prudence, that the foundation of the earth was laid. Wisdom was at the beginning when Yahweh breathed existence into reality and laid the foundation of the earth. So what David is saying here is that our understanding of the end our uh, understanding that the body that we inhabit, the time that we live in, the people that we're here with will all come to a close right there. In that shock, in that reality settling in, there's chokmah, there's wisdom. That's the place, when you understand that, that's the place where skill and prudence and wisdom settles in your heart. For example, to make this a little bit more real, think of the parable of the talents. Remember Jesus tells this parable about a rich man who gives away talents to these individuals. Some get 10, some get five, some get one. And uh, he comes back to see what they have done in a matter of time. He comes back to see, what have you done with the talents that I've given you? And here's what we learn. It is the one who has the end in mind, who knows how to make the most, or at least finds ways to make the most of what they have in their hands. Life isn't fair, 
Some people have more natural ability than others, but the one who lives with chokmah, the one who lives with wisdom, has the ability to make up for whatever may be lacking naturally. That's the metaphor that David is saying here. Understand the end. Understand that there's a time frame that you get here on this earth and chokmah comes in, skill comes in, prudence comes in. Now, I would imagine that, uh, maybe I'm not alone in this, Um, I would imagine for some of you, you think about that and you go, wait, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom? How about a heart of fear? (laughs) Wisdom? I would imagine that for some of us, wisdom doesn't seem to be the natural result of thinking about death. For most people, maybe the passage would read like this. If you had a pen and you were able to write this, I don't number my days because it terrifies me, so I do everything I possibly can to distract myself from thinking about death. That's how, that's how it would read for me sometimes. Because the end of life is terrifying to think about sometimes. You're like, oh my gosh. Uh, what if I lose all that I have? What if the people that I love the most pass away? Or, 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 or what if I'm gone? What are they going to do? Uh, these relationships that even God has given me, I, I so delight in. Or, or what if you get to the end of life and you realize it was all meaningless? What did it matter what you did or what you studied or where you worked or who you raised? It was all just meaningless. We're just on this glob of dirt floating through space with no real meaning or purpose. Or, or what if this is the only meaningful thing and there's nothing after this life and what you have here is the only meaning you're ever gonna experience and after this, it's just over. There's nothing else. You just cease to exist like a candle snuffed out. Isn't it interesting? I, I had my uh, grandmother, who I was quite close with, pass away a couple years ago. And, and, and I just remember thinking, every human who has ever lived up to this point has experienced this one thing, and no one can come back and tell us about it. It's like, what happened? It's like, you die, and then it's like, okay, what exactly happened? I wish you could just, like, just get on, like, a Zoom call. We'll talk about, like, what was it like over there on the other side? And so it seems that for many, when we think about death, fear is more the result than wisdom. And here's why. Here's why. Wisdom is only the result if relationship with God has been the priority of your life here and now. Thinking about death only produces wisdom if relationship with God was made the priority of your life here and now. Look, fear is the natural result of thinking about death outside of relationship with God outside of understanding what God says about a disciple's future. Um, I, I don't mean this harshly, like, if you fear, you don't have relation. I'm not, I'm not saying that. In, in many ways, this is critiquing, critiquing me in a very particular way. What I mean is that the more real God is to you, the more you have invested in relationship with him, the less worried about death you tend to be. Maybe you've experienced this in your life where you, when you first gave yourself to him and it was like, I don't care what happens to me, I have you. What I mean is that you've already cultivated relationship with the one who lives on the other side. You're receiving in the present tastes and glimpses and a life of sensing someone who exists outside of this time and space that we live in right here and now. So you have confidence. Now, maybe some of you know that to be true, but you still have this sense of dread right now. Um, I'll admit that I'm pretty okay with risk. 
I like am okay with taking risks in life. Maybe, maybe less and less so now that I have a wife and, and a baby. Um, but I understand, hey, living is risky no matter what you do. You can't mitigate all the risk, right? But I felt this a couple times in the past five months with COVID, um, just that feeling rise up in my throat and the goosebumps kind of form on my arms and this sense of like, what if I'm next? What if I get it and I'm one of the people who just can't fight this off no matter what the doctors do for me? Um, and I just have this thought like, no, not, not me, um, but, but could it be? And, and what if it does happen and just all that goes along with it? I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Fear is, is so strong. It's such a strong thing. And it's, it's because of this that Jesus takes aim at it because it's such a primal motivator. Our fear can motivate us to almost do anything that we've maybe even sworn we would never do. Um, evolutionary psychologists believe that fear is what has led us as a race to survive. It's like, hey, don't eat those berries. Remember what happened to the guy who ate those berries last time? He died. Okay, so be afraid of the berries. Teach your kids to be afraid of the berries or whatever it is. And fear has actually programmed us over time to know how to survive. When we fear, we avoid things that could cause pain or even death. But the reality is this, is that fear is only able to produce self-preservation. That's all that fear can do for us. So the best life that living a life of fear can give you is one of survival. That's all it can do. So if you're like, hey, I think I should be fearful because there's a lot of scary stuff out there. Well, guess what? You will end up surviving, not living. To really live, to live life abundantly, it will require that you move beyond fear into risk and into even love. This is why it is only Jesus who can really make you live, because it is relationship with him that enables us to live without fear. It's relationship with the one who's on the other side that can give us the confidence that no matter what comes in this life, our destiny is set. It's receiving heaven personally here and now that causes us to take kingdom risks, to love in risky ways, because we're receiving confirmation through relationship with heaven himself that there is a future for us. That's actually pretty good news right there. That's pretty good news. Yeah, you guys aren't showing that it's good news, but I'll just say it. Hey, that's a good word right there. The enemy wants to keep you thinking, what will happen to me? That's, if, if, if that's the, your mode of thought, that's what the enemy wants you to keep thinking. What's gonna happen to you if you do fill in the blank? But in order to really live, you have to think, I don't care what happens to me. I picked you. I'm laying all of my what ifs to the side in order to give my yes to you. That's called becoming a Christian. I would put forth to you this evening that keeping eternity in mind when you have that kind of relationship will do two things. The first thing that it will do for you is it will give meaning to your life here and now because you know, I'm not gonna live forever and I'm gonna be judged for what I do. Sometimes we go, I don't wanna be judged, don't judge me. Hey, meaning in your life is dependent upon you being judged. That someday you will actually stand before God and give an account for your life. That's actually what produces meaning in your life. It's what makes what you do and what you choose not meaningless but very meaningful. Secondly, if we keep eternity in mind, the end in mind, it will allow us to rest secure in the truth that we're safe eternally. That we actually know the eternal one and he in turn has made us eternal. 
I think this needs a little bit of describing. So I want to talk about three different truths. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down. I want to talk about these three different truths uh, that actually show us where our hope is. The first is this. There is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 all the way over to the right in your Bible, towards the end of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you can go to the very beginning. You can look at the table of contents. 1 Corinthians is a part of this collection called the New Testament. So go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Um, Really what is happening in this uh, chapter is Paul is explaining to the Corinthian church thousands and thousands of years ago. He's explaining to this church that the resurrection of Jesus was not only a real thing that happened in history, but that it actually means something for them. It actually means something for you who's reading this. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse three. He says this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. If you have a pen and you're the underlining type, underline that. What I received, I passed on to you. We're going to come back to that. And here's what he received and here's what he's passing on. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas or Peter. And then he appeared to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. There's a few things that I want to point out. First thing that I want to point out is verse three. He says this, what I received. What is he talking about? Where did he receive this information? Um, Scholars believe that Paul went to Jerusalem after being radically converted, and he had a meeting with the apostles there who knew Jesus, who had seen the resurrection. And so a lot of scholars think this is the earliest creed of the church. This is the earliest creed. And as you read through it, you're like, oh, it's a series of information about the resurrection. It's very important. He goes to Jerusalem. He's like, okay, tell me about this Jesus guy. And they're like, here's our creed. Here's what we know to be true, which, which means this. We know that at a very early stage, the church, even while many people who would have been alive to either witness or not witness the resurrection, could have fact-checked them, Right? they were still developing this creed that Jesus had indeed been raised from the dead. Now, skip down to verse six. Here's the next piece that I wanna point out to you. Verse six says this. After that, so after he had appeared, after Jesus has been resurrected, appeared to the 12, it says this. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time who are still living, who are still alive with us today. What does this mean? This means that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection who were alive during the time that this creed was being promulgated. This is very important. If you're a nerd or a Bible nerd or you're trying to figure out, maybe you've even been doubting, like, is the resurrection actually historical? Did it really happen? Well, there were 500 people who had seen the resurrected Christ. And Paul knew people who knew them. So he's like, fact check my sources. Go talk to them if you don't believe me. But then he gives us this little clue into the worldview of every believer. And this is what we need to get. It says this, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and the sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Make no mistake, this is not a throwaway line. Paul is building a worldview for people to inhabit. Death is not the end, it's sleeping. You're gonna wake from it. We need to get this. 
And this matters to you personally because he continues. Skip down to verse 20. He says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He uses this metaphoric language of first fruits. And I love this because what he's saying is this. Whenever you see the first leaf come in spring, or whenever you see right now it's apple season, you see the first apple come onto the tree, you know there's more of the same coming. So what he's saying is Christ is the first fruits. He was resurrected, and there's a lot more fruit that are coming after him. How is it going to happen? Now he gives us a clue. He says this. He says, in Adam all die. So in Christ all will be made alive. We inherit, as human beings, we inherit something from Adam. It's death. But when you get born again, here's the key phrase, you get a new inheritance. You get a new inheritance. And so this language of being in Adam or in Christ is technical language. You can't be both. Either you're in Adam and death is your future, or you're in Christ and Christ's future becomes your future. That's the truth. For Paul, what he's saying is this, when you put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross and in the grave and resurrection, then you get in Christ. And that makes you more like Jesus than like Adam. You get an identity change and now there's a resurrection coming for you. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all will be made alive. There's a resurrection. Secondly, we get to invest in heaven here and now. This is the second truth about the disciples' future. Look over at verse 50. Here's what he says. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you're in Adam, you're not gonna inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul's a master of mixing metaphors. We're gonna get to it. Don't worry, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. So in other words, not everybody's gonna die when Christ returns. There's gonna be some who are still alive. But here's what's true about all of us. We will all be changed. Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at, this, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. Do you see that in language? You gotta get in other clothing. You gotta get in Christ. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory where, O oh death, is your sting? What is he saying? There's a dichotomy between perishable and imperishable. When you think about perishable, think about perishable foods. It's, it's, th it's food that can rot. If it's not uh, protected, put in the refrigerator, you leave it out, it becomes disgusting. And what Paul is saying is that bodies without the life of the spirit, just our natural flesh right here, it's actually perishable. It will decay someday. But he's, he's also comparing that to the imperishable. 
Think of the spirit of a person. And he's saying that the dead will be raised imperishable at the resurrection and those who are still alive in perishable bodies, they will be changed to have imperishable bodies. Paul actually explains this in his next letter to the Corinthian church. And I'll just read this for you. He says this, so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away. It's perishable, it can rot. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction. This thing we call life is actually preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, the perishable, but to the things that are unseen, the imperishable, there's an eternal weight of glory that is being prepared. And then he says this, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's the point. There is a weightier thing that we can focus on and that we can deposit into when we focus on the unseen. When we focus, when our, really get this, when our minds are centered around heaven, there's something, there's like a bank account in heaven, a bank account of glory that we're depositing into. Here's what he's saying. Look for earth and you will only ever find things changing. Look for heaven here and now and you will find what is really solid. Character, virtue, love, these are the unfading things that are not touched by time and space that we actually get to contribute to and build here and now. See, every time you go through difficulty, through rot, through life, and you choose to love, you choose to look to God, you choose to ask him what to do, and then you do it, you're contributing to the glory of things unseen that are waiting for you in heaven. It's like an investment account that you get access to at death. But it's even better than that because we actually get to experience glimpses of that unseen glory, that unseen reality here and now. It breaks into our world and, and Jesus called that the kingdom of God or on earth as it is in heaven, the very vision statement of why we exist as a church. See, we, we actually have seen this here in our space. You've seen this in your lives. When you pray for somebody and they get healed, what is that? That's the unseen breaking into the scene. When you, when you give somebody an encouraging word and say, hey, I've been thinking about you, and, and uh, you know, Paul says that prophecy is encouraging, strengthening, comforting. I, I've just been thinking about you. Can I share this with you? Does that strengthen? The, does that encourage you? Does that comfort? And it changes the course of that person's life. What is that? It's the unseen breaking into the scene. When we make that personal decision to say yes to God in our hearts, regardless of what people around us are doing, we say, okay, I'm gonna say yes to you no matter what my roommate does or my coworker does or my friend does. What is that? That's the unseen relationship breaking into your actions in the scene. Though our outer self is wasting away, it's rotting. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. There is a beautiful reality for every Christian that is gravity and light weigh down and age us and our body gives way to the forces of nature. We've been given an inner born again person that is actually getting stronger and increasing in stature. That's the truth. That's good news. That's really good news. Because there is a hope for you. There's a resurrection. And you have a role to play in that resurrection here and now by pulling what God has intended for the kingdom into our space right now. 
Lastly, there's a future world. This is in the bulletin. So if you want to just open your bulletin, this is just a beautiful passage. I wanted to send it home with you. This is in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4, written by John. Uh, the brother of Jesus. Here's what he says. He says in this heavenly vision that he gets, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The earth is headed towards a remodel. The earth is headed towards having the old uh, drywall stripped down, the old insulation torn out, the dry rot taken back, and new wood put in place. God will remake this world. And that old order of crying and loss and pain, or maybe even more specific to some of us this evening, that struggle to find meaning, loneliness that settles in our hearts at times, physical issues, pain in the body or economic lack. Those things are all fixed in the city where God is their ruler. They're fixed in the future. So Psalm 90 verse 12 again, think about this in light of all that we know. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the key. When life is lived, understanding your future and in relationship with God, you actually gain wisdom by knowing the limits of life. So your prayer becomes, help me to know that I'm temporary here. I'll rest secure in my future and let's get to work. Help me to know that I'm temporary here. I'll rest secure in my future and let's get to work together. Relationship with the promiser is what delivers on the promise. It's relationship with the one who's made the promise that delivers on the promise. When Jesus dies, he uttered these words, it is finished. What did he mean? Certainly there was a Jewish meaning to that, the sacrificial law uh, being over, the temple being the only place to access God's presence, curtain torn top to bottom, um, God's presence available to all, but I think beneath some of that, he was saying that the pursuit to make this life ultimate is over. The pursuit to try to be good, to try to be righteous or better than others is over. The pursuit to try to build a meaningful life for yourself is over. The pursuit of trying to reach to God is over and he has come near. The pressure to survive is gone. Freedom to live is now available because we have an eternal hope and there are no barriers between God and his people, between eternity and mortal humans like us this evening. Heaven is available. So here's my question for you this evening. Are you in Christ? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? There's no going, well, if you're in Christ, you can't go back to being in Adam. Some of you think you have gone back to being in Adam. It's not true. It's just in your head. But are you in Christ or are you in Adam? 
It's very simple to get in Christ. In fact, Jesus told us this, and I think it's one of the most powerful realities that I can think of. He said this in Revelation chapter three. He said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them. That's the kind of God that we have. Have you let him in? Have you eaten with him? Maybe it's been a while since you've shared a meal. It's okay, he's still knocking. The amount of time that we spend away from his presence is directly related to the sense of fear and anxiety that we live with in this life. It's measurable by our fear and our anxiety. We can tell, oh, I've spent time away from him. He didn't say, whoever has nice decor in their lives, I'll come in and I'll eat with them. He didn't say, whoever's cooked the right meal, I'll come in and I'll eat with them. He just says, whoever hears, can you hear him? Whoever opens the door, will you open it? I'll come in and I'll eat with him. I'll eat with them tonight. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church. And the yoke is so much easier